0: Courage to Lead, episode 185.
1: You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast.
0: Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, please help me welcome Anthony Myers. Anthony Myers is a thought innovator, life catalyst, author, purpose strategist, and social entrepreneur who emboldens individuals to live more effective and purposeful lives. With an extensive background in nonprofit management, faith-based corporate leadership that spans more than 30 years, Anthony is considered a leadership expert in strengthening leadership skills, building dynamic teams, and enriching relationships through trust, positivity, and authentic communication. Anthony is the author of 1440, a book that empowers individuals to live a purposeful life every minute. Anthony's goal with audiences is to stir their hearts, advance their thinking, and inspire them to action.
1: Yeah. Anthony, welcome to the show. My pleasure being here. Glad to be here with you today. No,
0: this is this is excellent. Like I said, I I heard you speaking on a podcast, and I thought, dang, I gotta get this guy <laughs> on a podcast. Because you just talk with such passion and conviction. And that's really what we're all about. And I know you are big on leadership. Yes. Um, education is important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all those things. So yeah, definitely. And you're currently a pastor. now
1: Yes. Correct. Yes. Do that as well. So yeah. I juggle a few things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one or two. <laughs> yeah, one or two.
0: All right. We're going to come back and talk about uh how you got your start. Okay. Um, what do you do? How you help people? Right. The yeah. people you work with. I'll uh, we'll talk about your book and a lot of other things. But before we get started. I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of okay. my guests. Gotcha. And listeners know these are the questions made famous on the in, uh, television show Inside the Actor's Studio where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. Right. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, sir. I am ready. number one. All okay. right. What, what is your favorite word? Oh,
1: wow. Um, Probably two words. Let's roll. Let's just two. do it. All you right. know? idle doesn't work for me. Slow doesn't work for me. Let's roll. Let's get it done. Let's move into it. Excellent. You know, it's forward motion for me. So, you know, let's uh-huh. roll. All
0: right. What is your least favorite word?
1: No. You know, no becomes obstacles. No are our hindrances. And I think those are opportunities. So I use it both ways. But, you know, a, a quick no is like, why not? Why, why can't we? Let's 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 move forward.
0: Excellent. All right. What turns you on?
1: um challenges you know taking on that new challenge taking on a new opportunity looking at things as as though they could be rather than that what they are so that really turns me on
0: what turns you off
1: um people with low expectations either of, of situations or of themselves and really lack that hope of the future um because once you lack the hope of the future you're just, you're going to get stuck right where you are because there's nothing you know worth moving forward for
0: exactly what sound or noise do you love
1: um, I, I I would say my Harley, but I crashed that last last summer, so it's not that that sound anymore. Probably, um, <laughs> you know, my dogs. You know, they're you know they're 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 loving and and, and forgiving. So them.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. All right. What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Uh, alarm clocks. Alarm clocks. Yes. I. You my, my what what on my phone it, it chimes and little birds wake up in the morning. I like that. that eh, eh, eh. That's no. No. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right, question seven. What is your favorite curse word?
1: I I I've I've transitioned now it's like farfignugan. I just I just <laughs> you know because my grandfather would tell me if you have to cuss that me you lack the intelligence to articulate how you feel. And I was like, Yeah but cuss words are so much shorter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you exactly. know? So yeah. Good job. All right.
0: Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Um, what profession other than my own would I like to attempt? Probably being an actor or a clown. You know, I I, I love I love getting into other mindsets and, and making people laugh, so that'd be kind of cool too. Good deal.
0: All right. What profession would you not like to do?
1: Would I not politician? Hmm. Would not want to do that. It's 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 anti it's anti me. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right. Um, Final question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Um, you did it. Did everything I put in your hands. You did. You know, I didn't leave anything out there. So, um, yeah. Hey, I think you're well on your way
0: and we're going to come back and talk about all the stuff you've done so far. Okay. Um, Like I said, how you got your start? How you got to where you are now? you help, how you help them, Um, and at some point transition into courage and leadership. And listeners, we'll be talking about that and a lot more right after this, so stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back, and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Anthony Myers. Anthony, thanks again for being on the program. So how did you get your start? Where did you get started?
1: Yeah, Ready? How I got my start, you know, I, I was in college. My parents were CPAs. And oh. so the thought was, I'll be an accountant, too. And my freshman year, got on the dean's list, and I was like, I hate this. I'm quitting school. I hate accounting, got good grades. And my father said, you have two options. You either go back to school or you become a Marine. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to Paris Island, South Carolina in the summertime. <laughs> I went back to school, changed my major. And so changed my criminal justice, got out of the college, became a police officer for a few years. And just trying to figure out what, what I want to do in my life, what am I trying to do? And then I got into education and I just saw how you can empower in, in post-secondary education, how you can empower young people to, to do um, kind of the impossible and what that looks like, what that feels like. And, um, you know, uh, went from that, working on a college campus, uh, a couple of college campuses and, you know, was doing that for a number of years, running some federal programs on college campuses, inspiring young people. And uh, then... Uh, you know really didn't know what I wanted to do you know I was I was doing that working on a college campus we were in Alabama then and that was working out I love photography opened a photography studio was doing all this and um, going to church and doing some things and then uh, met a gentleman by the name TD Jakes and you know he was opening a church in Texas doing these things and I went there to be to help him open up that that behemoth of a church that became the potter's house down in Dallas and, and did that for several years, and even through all of that, utilizing all my skills with community building, development, all those skills, and did that for about 13 years. And just at that point, got kind of burned out. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Um, Spent a little time with the city of Fort Worth, running some of their federal programs. Uh, a friend of mine was a college vice president. He said, I need you on my staff. And I was like, no, I don't want to come work for you. And so, uh, ended up being the vice president there on a college campus, helping them build community and raise, raise funds. And, and I thought, you know, that's kind of where I was going to settle for a while. And then, um, you know, got back into a, a, church in, in St. Louis, very, very large church in St. Louis, helping them build, uh, outside the walls of the church. And, And it seemed like all my skill sets came together. My skill set with corporate America, my skill set in community building, my skill set as a police officer, my skill set um, just dealing with people, uh, building ministry. And so uh, that's kind of where I am right now. I'm in this place where um, I get to build community and what that looks like. So I get to play in in fun places and prickly places. And um, it's. It's, you know, the, the whole goal is how do we build a better community? What does that look like? What does that sound like? What does it look like from a, from a corporate CEO seat? Because I deal with a lot of corporate CEOs. What does it look like for their seat in in this city? And how do we do that better? What does it look like if you're a nonprofit in this city? What does it look like if, if you're in, 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 in very impoverished areas in our city? And what, is, what does that look like when we can build community? And, you know, how do we do that well? What does that, what does that feel like? Um you know, I do the same thing when I travel to Africa over the summers. You know, how do we do that in, in places that are war-torn countries and you go yes. through things there? And what I realized that if, if, if it can work in Africa, it can work here. Yes. Because the problems we have right here are not as bad as what I've seen in some right. countries that have been at war for years. And I was in Rwanda a couple of years ago that had genocide. So I, um, so I get the plans. And we have so the really resources. Cool. Right, we have the resources. Yeah. We have the we have we have everything. I think sometimes that's 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 a disservice to us. We take that for granted, yes. and we're waiting for something else to come save us. And I'm like, no, you, you got to save yourselves in some of this. So, yeah. that's kind of the space I'm in right now. Uh, I spend a lot of time on leadership development, whether it be for young people, whether it be for 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 uh, for CEOs on the back end of their career. What is you know, it's not just leaving a legacy, but what is being legendary like? What is it, what, what is that type of leadership that transcends not only what, what you're doing right now, but the future of wherever you are?
0: And, uh, talking to the leaders, uh, executive CEOs of the different companies in the area itself, a lot of them in their their corporate model, they say, you know, we want to help our community. And yet a lot of them don't even get involved in the community.
1: No, I don't. What they used to think help was is not what help is. And so it used to be, let's write a check, let's buy a table at the, at, at the event. Let's put our banner up. So we're, we're with you. Um, I, I continue to challenge them. I say, you know, if if your thing is, you know, homelessness and if you're going to say, well, gee, you know, what are we doing? I say, well, there are five or six, you know, nonprofits that you're helping to fund and there are 100 homeless people on the streets and, and they're every day. How do you eradicate? You're not going to eradicate it. How do you get it down to fifty five? But that's not happening. So I think the model had to change, and um, I think some of them are recognizing now it, it can't be just writing check. There has to be some some social equity in the community of doing something. And it's not just, gee, can we clean up this neighborhood? Can we do that? It's it's how do you sit as an executive on a nonprofit board that really needs you where there's no glitz and glamour there? How do you help them? Um, they need an audit for them to be able to get grant funding. How do you help them do that? How do you help? Uh, change the narrative of other corporations in the community and say, "Hey, let's do this together. Let's make our mark in this community." I challenge them to look around them, and I said, "I guarantee, around you there's a nonprofit. Around you there's a school. Around you there's a library around you, and there's a, 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 a child daycare center around you. All of those you can pour into somehow. All of those you can partner with somehow. That brings up the, the community that you're mm-hmm. in, and and usually." It doesn't take a whole lot of money. It just takes some some sweat. Equity. It takes time. Yeah, it takes time. Get your and, employees and, involved, right? Get right. them to volunteer and, and, in these experiences. And I see that's where, that's where I think the, there's a new age of leader that has to emerge because it's a new age of employee. And it's not just a younger employee. It's just a new mindset because, you know, employees can work anywhere they want to now, whether it be remote or even live. And they have options. Well, if I have options, then you want to choose what is the company I want to work for? I'm gonna I'm gonna build, we we'll all build widgets. I'll build the widgets for you. But then who are you as a company? You know, am I, am I building widgets for a company that really cares about what happens in the community, that they really stands up, that has a sense of justice or integrity of honoring community, are they well thought of? Well, if the company doesn't do that, the things they used to dangle in, in the past don't work anymore. I pay you real nice, you know. You you have this nice office, nice parking space. We they're like, I don't care about any of that. None of that matters. <laughs> None of that matters. So then, what 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 matters to people now is, you know, what is significance? Yeah. What does that mean now? It's not success. Success is is this thing that I think people chase. I think what people really want is significance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anthony Robbins talks about the six basic human needs. Yeah we will find them either positive or negative correctly. About, right. Right. So you've got the, um, uh, significance is one of the big ones, contribution, giving yeah. back, yeah. um, just feeling appreciated, feeling that love and connection, being part yeah. of something bigger and stuff. And I think if employers start focusing on that, they're going to hire a totally different group of people, right? And the people going to be yeah. more engaged.
1: Yeah. yeah, The mindset will be totally different. And and I think we've allowed society to to, to skew our, our thought of this current generation. So I did a commencement uh, speech to a high school uh, this past Friday. And one of the things I told them is don't believe in what they say about you because it's not true. I gave them a blind survey about a month before commencement and uh, about what they thought, what they felt, who their heroes were, uh, what mattered to them. And if if you put that up against graduates are probably in the 60s or 50s. It'd be the same Mm -hmm. where the integrity and honor and friendship and parents and family meant everything to them. And so they cared more about others than themselves. Now, society thinks that's different of them. But when they go to college, when they become part of organizations, when they become employable at at that collegiate level, that's what they're going to be looking for. That's what they're going to be thinking about. How can I get myself aligned with a, a company that believes in this and I think there are there's some mid-range companies all across this country that will uh, be the beneficiaries of of hiring them because those big companies have a history of maybe not helping. It's like, yeah, I don't want to work for X, Y, Z or ABC. i want to work for Pickle over here. They're different, but I like what they're doing.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. All right. So right out of school, you said uh, you became a police officer.
1: Yes. How long did you serve? I did that for six years and I, I got that job. I wasn't looking for that job, so um, I was a senior in college. I was at home for the weekend, and my aunt was a campaign manager for the sheriff and Wake County Sheriff's Department, Raleigh, North Carolina. was the largest uh, police force in, in the state, and so I, you know, he's sitting at the table. This is a man that used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's six foot nine, a behemoth of a human being, and he's sitting at a table. He's, he's got this big deep voice. He's, "Anthony, sit down." I was like, "I don't, I don't want. I, I just want breakfast. That's all I want." He said, what are you doing after graduation? I have no idea. He said, you, you're gonna work for me. And I thought about it, I'm like, they get paid, you know, back then once a month, they get paid every month and uh get a take home car. Okay, cool. And so I went to the, that's kind of how I started. I went to the academy and did that for a while. And you know, it was it was it was it was a great experience. It wasn't something I wanted to retire at. You know, I looked at some of the guys, I was at that point, looking looked at some of the guys who've been there twenty-five years, I was like, I don't necessarily wanna do this twenty-five years. And that's why I got more into education. But it gave me a great, um, a great understanding of, of, of law enforcement and what it's like, what that mindset is. And um, you see
0: community from a totally different perspective.
1: You see everything from a totally different community. And if you're not careful, you can become very jaded, uh, very walled off. And I spend a lot of times now uh, with a lot of officers. I'm one of the chaplains for our St. Louis County Police Department and, and their Tactical SWAT team. And I spend a lot of time with them. And and you see. You know, you're called in some of the worst of, of of existence, the worst of humanity. And it's sometimes hard to step away from that and um, and exist. So yeah. we, I spend a lot of time trying to help individuals, you know, uh, walk past that a little bit.
0: Yeah, And compartmentalize. I, for me, I think it would be difficult to, to not take that home with me, not to feel those things, you know. The, yeah. the,
1: It'd be easier yeah. in the compartment that you put it if there wasn't so much of it because it's every day. So now... It's such a a, a crunch compartment that you put stuff starts to leak out because it's like, I, where do I put this? You can't really come home and talk about it. You, you know, you don't want to keep talking about it. And for, for many offices, it becomes endless. So I've got some friends when they go on vacation, they go places where nothing works. There's no TV. There's no phone. I mean, there's nothing. Had a friend of mine. He just came back from Alaska. He's like, I go and nothing matters. And so uh, you, you, you got to find ways of, of getting away and being um, being present somewhere else. Exactly.
0: Exactly. All right. And then you made the transition to education. Now I, yes. I mean, I think our U.S. education system is pretty good. I mean, there's definitely some areas that yeah. can be improved. Um, where do you think the current education system is and where, where can we improve it? And what are we missing? What are we dropping?
1: You know, I think... Um, I think many think that the system of education is it, it, it can it, it can do its its own thing. I think parents still need to educate their children. I think that's a huge part of not letting the school educate them. The schools a resource. And I think it starts very very young. It starts with reading to children at a very young age. It's about uh, getting them exposed to a lot of things at a very young age, whether it be the arts, whether it be. Uh, music and things of that nature, I think reading is, is valuable. There are things I learned um, in school, um, writing cursive, they don't do that anymore, um, but reading, dissecting a sentence, um, being able to, there were things on my report back then that said, you know, citizenship. So you learned a lot there that, that, that hopefully emulated what you were learning at home. I think now we've gotten to the point of which I'm not sure that. um, When I went to college, when I opened up the catalog for college, it said it it listed four years, eight semesters. That's it. There's your degree. It wasn't a five year plan, it wasn't a seven year plan, it wasn't that. And so I I just wonder are we putting too much into some areas of education, not others? Um, because I think education is is a tool that's that's what it is the better educated you are the more, more opportunities you get but education is not just uh, you know I, I know p- people who are uh, who are plumbers and electricians uh, who are making six figures but but they understand business extremely well there's an education there too so I just think we've got to reassess what we want out of education and what we're willing to put into education particularly in math and science yeah.
0: Absolutely, but you brought up the, the parenting, and I think that's yeah. a huge part. When I, I heard you um, on another podcast, and I remember you had said um, everybody wants to be a leader until you become one, <laughs> and oh, then responsibility yeah. and accountability hits you, and you realize I want somebody else to blame. I to me, that's what happens to a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. Things start happening. It's like you know what? I think the school needs to deal with this, or I need the church to deal with this, or something because they don't know what to do. And they're expecting the schools and the churches to step up and and teach and, and
1: yeah, yeah. I, I don't parenting think right. is hard. That parenting is. is not easy, and people think, "Well, I can do that." It sounds wonderful, and it, and and I said, "The easiest days when there's a little crib, you put the baby down, and when you go back, the baby is still there." Yeah. When those days <laughs> end, it's a, it's a race at that point, yeah, and <laughs> you are trying to raise a human being. And who is interpe- independent? Who is dependent to, to interdependency? To, to, to at that point be independent. Well, that doesn't happen the same way with everyone. And I think I think parents are are hoping somebody else helps. And we've stopped being a village of raising. When I was when I was younger, I grew up in, grew up in Brooklyn when I was younger, and it really was a village of people. Everybody, if, if an adult said something, you listened. There was a time in which that if, if men were walking down the street, young boys got out the way. Now, when boys are walking down the street, young men, I mean, men get out men, the yes, way. It, it's, right. We flipped. And somehow we've, we've missed some, a little bit of morality there, a little bit of, of, of honoring each other's space. Sure. And so we've got to find different ways of, of recognizing we have to do this together. It is, it, is, it is something that we do together. And it wasn't until I was in um, Rwanda uh, two years ago and I was asked a question. And the question was, why do you put your old people away? I was like, what, what do you mean? He said, you have these places in, in America where, where when, when, when your elders get too old, you just put them away somewhere. And I was like, oh, wow. And I never thought about that. He says, we don't do that. And he said, we don't have such places. He says, family is everything. And it really is from the cradle to the grave. And I think that's where I think somehow we missed it. We, we, we wanted to capture what we consider the American dream of the car, the house, the boat, the vacations, you know, the selfies. But then what is true family? What What is what is true significance? What is spending time with someone that, that you can have a great conversation with that doesn't include, you know, one of these demons right here? And so I think that's where we've got to begin shifting, getting back to
0: absolutely yeah and in a lot of the countries the elders are honored right they're revered they're right. revered. you keep them close and you you go yeah. to them for counsel and everything like that yeah we yeah. don't just like the kids we want to kind of put them away and yeah. say hey you take care yeah. of them same thing this starts getting too tough yeah.
1: yeah yeah that's so true that is so true yeah
0: yeah no that's that's bad. <laughs> so um on your linkedin profile you mentioned that you help people to recognize their inherent abilities to produce an empowering and purposeful life. Yeah. What, what does that look like exactly? And do you have like an example, somebody you can point to and say, that's the type of life?
1: You know, when I meet with people, I, I don't ask them what they do, where they're from. I ask them, tell me your story. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Everybody. And, and when you listen to their story, you realize this is what you really like. This is what you really want to do. This is who you really are. But if it, what you... That's here. And then your job is here or your career is here. You get this chasm in between. And if you're not careful, that that thing that that pays the bills that gives you stature in the house and everything else, you're going to grow to hate that. So what is that transition from that to how do I live this life every day and feel good about what I'm doing? You know, once again, we have to making the widgets. I might make the widgets, but I'm not trying to get my fulfillment from making the widgets. And so we look at what does fulfillment feel like? And, and, you know, and and I think sometimes people were never asked that, you know, you're going to be a lawyer. You go to school. Now you're a lawyer. But a lawyer can't define who you are. It's a job. It's a widget maker. It's a, just a different job. Who do you want to be? Who, who are you going to be when you grow up? And what are you going to do that that is fulfilling every day? Um, I think sometimes we, we try to get fulfillment way down down the road. What's fulfillment? Today, what's it going to be on Wednesday? It's a step at a time. So I try to get people to recognize that in them, they have different gifts and abilities and work to step into that. And if if the job ended today and, and I tell people if money didn't matter, what would you do? So if the job ended today and all the bills were paid, what would you do? And, and if you if you don't have any type of an answer, then I said, that's what we need to work on, because now you're relying too much on a job that is is that exists not for your benefit it exists for its own benefit i said nowhere in anybody's job description is a line i'm said we're going to make you feel good it doesn't exist
0: right
1: it doesn't say we're going to pat you on the back when you feel down we're going to pick you up when you feel I- inadequate we're going to make you feel better it doesn't say any of that right. and so fulfillment fills those boxes so how do you step into a space that fulfills you if it's gee yeah i'm a, i'm going to turn you over here but I spend my time with, with young people doing this over here, and that's fulfilling. And that's where I'm trying to shift this so I can balance out what this is. So when people recognize who you are and what you're accomplishing, it's not because of the job, it's because of the community that you're building over here. And I think that's significance. And that's the legacy that people really want to have. It's not having your name on a building. It's having everybody in the building with a mindset like you to lead.
0: Absolutely. Do you have a, a leader that stands out for you?
1: Oh, wow. I've got a lot. There's a leader. His name is Orvin Kimbrough. Um, He is a a bank president, African-American guy who, um, you know, he grew up in foster care from eight years old, foster care, different places. And just recognize that that cannot define who I am. You know, it, it would decide, you know, and it'd be okay if you didn't succeed because, you know, you grew up in foster care. It'd be okay if you didn't succeed because you're a black guy living in St. Louis and and, you know, get a menial job. And, and that wasn't enough. And it's like, no, you can't stop somebody who's determined. You can't stop somebody who's going, OK, I'm going to be well-educated. He went to University of Missouri, went to grad school. But it's like he's, he's well-read. He's well-traveled. A couple of years ago, I, was, I told him, I said, you need to go to Africa with me. It'll change your life. And he's like, I don't have time for Africa. I said, nobody has time to go to Africa, but you just make it happen. And he went, and it just changed. It, it broadens everything. And I'm watching him now. He used to run uh, the United Way uh, in St. Louis and transition into into bank manager. He's CEO of a bank. And just watching his commitment to banking, to community, to uh, to nonprofits, to being a leader, recognizing that inherently there's a responsibility to that. It's cute to have that CEO on, on the card. Mm-hmm. But when when you have to make hard decisions on community, when you have to stand out there by yourself and stand for something or sometimes stand against something, you do that and, and you let the chips fall where they may. But you look at it and it's like, where I came from, this, this part's going to be easy compared to where I came from because I shouldn't be here. And so inherently he's living out um, – this, this life that's more than just a job, you know, cause when you meet him, it's not about meeting the bank president. It's about meeting this dude that wants his community to be better.
0: Awesome. Very cool. So aside from responsibility and accountability, what does it take to be a great leader? What what characteristics are most important?
1: You gotta be a good listener. I think you have to be an excellent listener and listening, uh, uh, to people. You've got to have a, you have to have an ego big enough that you're not afraid of challenges, but that's not so big that it scares people off. You can't be the smartest dude in the room and you can't de- demean people in the process. But you want to be you want to be on that razor's edge. You want to be really sharp and moving forward where you're not intimidated by anything. And I think if like me, I'm not intimidated by anybody, that's why I can have great people around me. I'm not jealous. Let's do this together. And let's let's it's a we mentality, not a me. let let's win because I can't win by myself. It's no fun that way. I've tried it, it just doesn't work. And it's real selfish. And you build a lot of enemies that way. So it's like, how do we do this together? And you listen, and and I think part of it is being secure enough to bring more people to the table than you think. I think that's one of the biggest changes. It used to be mentality, you know, only a few people get to the table, you know, and the table is sacred and i'm saying no you need more people at the table because they need to learn there has to be a legacy because i need somebody in the room that at some point can take my seat and if i'm not doing that i think good leaders are always mentoring if Mm -hmm. if you're a leader right now you're not mentoring anybody outside of your children then i'm not sure you're the leader that you think you are a good leader ought to be mentoring somebody through the good and bad times to be truthful at it i I think that's that's an attribute of a good leader so that when, when opportunities come they say, Do you know somebody? I got somebody right here that I trust that I know. But they're kinda young, it doesn't matter. You know. And and yeah. so I, I just think you've gotta be able to do that. And I think the other piece now, I think leader has to be willing to be stretched and renegotiate um some of the old ways of doing things. So when you look at leaders now who are trying to say, Okay, this whole model of working from home, it's it's new And I've heard some CEOs say, y'all are coming back to work. And I told one of them, no, they're not. I said, that sounds wonderful. I said, what do you have that's going to entice them other than their home? And I said, you don't have anything, I said, because they have options. And I said, the the people that industry you're in, they can work from anywhere. I said, so you've got to change some of that. And um, and they begin changing a little bit, recognizing I can't lead the same way. So. I think that to the, the be malleable enough to change your leadership style um, and, and not lose who you are as a leader, not negate any of, of the leadership strengths, but recognize I have to rearticulate how we do this to to an audience that's gone through something for the past three years. Yeah,
0: exactly. But that's a, a lot of what you're talking about, too, is having that courage, right? To oh. the intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long held beliefs and the knowledge that you have to make room for new knowledge, the courage, empathetic courage, yeah. You know, to, yeah. you're feeling it, but have saving room for them to to feel too and understand their feelings are there and how to how to still work with them and get the most out. But a lot of that and the, and the
1: yeah, and the courage to fail. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other piece. You have to have the courage to say, you know what, I blew it, this did not work. And for the past couple of years, people are trying to figure out. You know, we, we've had. Election chaos. We've had civil civil uh, uh, unrest. Rest. We've had this thing called COVID. Then we had mask and no mask. Shot no shot vaccine. One, two, three, and four. I mean all of this stuff. And and you, you know companies trying to figure out: Do I do this? Do that? Do I do? And every time you make a move, somebody's ticked off at you. Mm-hmm. At you. Every time you do something, it's wrong and it's right. And and again, how do you not become jaded and recognize? Yeah, that didn't work. Okay, we're going to work on this. And you try to make your best effort, but you can't be afraid to fail at it. Um, I tell people, I will fail big because I build big. And that's what happens. If you're not building anything, you won't fail. And that's fear. Yeah,
0: As long as you learn from the mistakes. Oh, yeah. Right? You
1: got to learn from it. I learn more from people, the mistakes people make than uh, than their successes. I was watching Smartest Guys in the Room about the Enron debacle uh, the other night. And just just, yeah, there were smartest guys in the room, too smart for their own good. And I learned... Just the little things, not the big things they did that were horrible. It was the little things. It was the little things that that in leadership and leading the company that got them, you know, where they were. So where did you get your courage?
0: All the things you've done, the, the choices that you've made and stuff like that to go to this point mean, to be a yeah. police officer. Yeah. Right. Is definitely there's some fear involved with that. Yeah. And stuff, but where did you find the courage to do everything you've done?
1: You know, I think you know. I think my, my grandfather. My grandfather was a historian in North Carolina, but he was one of the first um, African American uh, teachers in high school that, that they pushed over when the schools integrated. He was the first teacher in New Hanover County, and he used to talk about that, about what that was. I used to watch when I was, you know, at the summers down with my grandparents, and on Sunday night, all these men would come to the house and they would, you know, eat and then play chess. And I realized as I got older, okay. These are all the black doctors and lawyers and teachers and the mortician and, uh, you know, the power books of the city. And just the courage to say, okay, we have to do things different and be better. And and, and in that I watched my mother um, just do amazing things as a courageous woman in life and business and everything else. And I've had some great mentors. I really have that um, uh, I didn't have to be afraid to to fail. I got to ask a lot of great questions of people. I got to learn a lot. I got to have seats at the table I didn't deserve to be sitting at. And I realized, oh, this is how you do this. Oh, I can't ask that question. Oh, this is not too far. Or I can believe in things I can't see. I can believe in impossible and make things happen. And um, for me, that that, that alleviates. I don't ever, I'm not a fearful type of person. I don't go into things with fear, sometimes caution. But it's like, okay, we can get this done. And so... Um, I think if you get the right people around you and have the courage to get people around you that sometimes aren't like you, um, I tell people, you you know, make make enemies and friends and friends the partners. And if you do that, then hopefully um, you can have great people around you. And, and that helps build that courage.
0: Yeah. I think that that's one thing that helps. I think it holds people back from moving from manager to leader, right? Yes. Manager yes. manages things, managers tasks. Um, leader is somebody who wants the best out of their employees, they're looking for the best of, of whoever they surround themselves with. But these guys that are stuck at manager, they want to surround themselves with people that think like them, people that don't mm. challenge them, people that yeah. aren't quite as smart as they are. And that's yeah. what holds them back.
1: And, and, and I think companies have failed because they found somebody who does good work. They made him a manager. They did good work. And they said, now we're going to make you a leader. Well, two different skill sets. And and every company that's led by a manager struggles, they might find some success, but it, it's not sustainable success. It, it doesn't it doesn't sustain through the hard times.
0: Yeah. And usually it's somebody below them kind of whispering in the ear, saying, I think we should do this. Oh, Right. Okay. Right. So there's a leader there somewhere. You may not
1: see them. But they're right. right. Because what happens is the middle manager, you know, they're always talking about they, they, they. Now you're now you're the they. Now you're the them and it's totally different. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So tell me about your book, 1440.
1: 1440. You know, minutes matter when leaving when leading an intentional life. They're 1440 minutes of every day, no more or less. How are you gonna maximize them? What what is that? How do you have value to what that is? Because if you don't have value to it, people will rob it from you. Life will rob it from you. And so I think you have to wake every day every day with a plan. What is my plan for today? It may it may you may not accomplish all of it, but but I need, I need to seize back more of my day. And that's what I had to do in life. I had to seize back more of my day because, you know, I was like, oh, sure, I can do that. Oh, sure, I could do it. Yeah, not a problem. Yes. All the, and it's like, no, I can't do this. And there's an old Ed Sullivan rerun about the guy twirling the plates. Yes. You know, and yep. he gets to the end. He stands. He's happy. But you got to keep twirling those plates. That was my life. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And you're afraid of dropping a plate. You know, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Some of these are not my plates. And I'm like. That's it. And once you you let it drop. And if you're okay with the sound of it dropping, then you recognize that's not mine. Like this one's yours and that one's yours. Now I have four left. Let me deal with that. And and now my time is focused on that. So I tell everybody on my schedule, I put everything on my schedule. And so like Friday mornings, my wife and I for years and I've been off on Friday mornings. And so Friday mornings our date day. You know, if you want to come kidnap us, we're at the same, you know, pancake place every Friday morning. Even during COVID, they were closed, but they had takeout. We drive down there in the morning, get takeout, and bring it back to the house. Um, and But that's a non-negotiable. All my schedule is non-negotiable. And so people say, hey, can we meet on, my, on that morning? No. Because if it's the right opportunity, it'll still be there. But but that that time is important to me. And so... I think how we look at and assess our time because if if you're an attorney and you hire an attorney, they have billable hours, mm-hmm. so they say you know every time you contact them, they're racking it up because they value their time. So what is your time worth? Is is it better to spend time uh, with a, with a coworker or your child? Which is going to be better for you because you can't do both, okay? And you can't marginalize either one. So either you want to be all in or all out, and and time is a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. There's this time, and that's it. And so I think if, if you're not careful, uh, you find yourself wasting minutes, then you're wasting hours and weeks and years. And, and the idea is, yeah, I should have done this, I could have done this, I and, and, and it just doesn't work. You've got to find different ways of, of re, re, re establishing your time. If you say, gee, I need to get this degree next, well, then you need to reshape your time to do that. And it becomes a non-negotiable, very myopic for that. And which means some people are, aren't are going on, on, on the ride with you. That means some things have to wait and you have to be disciplined enough to do that.
0: Yeah. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything else, right? Everything you else. You have to
1: be okay saying no to those things. And And, 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 and everybody's not going to like that. Everybody's not going to agree with that. Um, and you have to be okay with that. It's hard at first. It's hard saying no at first. It's hard doing that at first. And, um, and the question is, are you willing to do what it takes during that time to get what you want? If you're not, then that's a whole different piece of this. And so uh, I've been around enough people who, who have leveraged time poorly, and then you end up uh, stressed and stretched and it's like, nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be there for that. And, and if you realize, you know, I want to enjoy life. I got a friend right now. And so for his grandkids, when each one of them turns 10 years old, he takes on a trip wherever they want to go on earth. Okay. Nice. okay. And so this past week, he's been down in the Galapagos Islands. That's where he's been all week because that's where that 10-year-old wanted to go. He spent his years in corporate America doing things so he could do that now. And so he's, he's always knew that when they, that's, what's going to happen. And so that, that's kind of where that is. So I, 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 I'm around people that, that leverage time well and believe in it.
0: That is awesome. I would love to
1: be able to do something like that. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah.
0: Um, do you have a podcast?
1: I don't have a podcast. I I thought about trying to do a podcast. Um, I started doing these things called, uh, quotables. I, I, I put some videos out, okay. um, every once in a while. I, I thought about trying to do a podcast. I, i set everything up. And I said, you know what, I'm going to spend enough time listening to other people's podcasts before I start doing a podcast, because you got to, once again, you got to dedicate a lot of time to do that, you know, and, and to and, and to do it well. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and and the good things about them, what they're learning. And so I, I've been in that mode right now. Let me listen for a while. Yeah,
0: I uh, it'll be a hit whatever you do. <laughs> I'm guaranteed. So what's next for you then? I mean, podcast aside, what, what's next? You've done so much and achieved a lot. You know, I love, I
1: love right. I love the space I'm in right now, helping leaders lead, whether it be in, in, in the faith world, whether it be in corporate America. Uh, one of the things that um, was going on right now in Rwanda a couple of years ago, we were leaving from Rwanda going to Tanzania on this little small plane. And seats about six people. And the pilots are right here in front of us. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. next to a friend of mine who's a pilot. And I'm like, do they know what they're doing? And they can hear me because they're right there. He's like, no, they're really, really good. These are two young black pilots. We're in Africa, and we land on this dirt strip in, in Tanzania. And I asked one, of, okay, how did you learn how to be a pilot in Africa? He said he grew up in the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya, and every Kenyan father wants his son uh, to be a doctor. He said, like, I don't want to be a doctor. He said, I want to do that, fly planes. And it's and like, we don't know anything about that. His village saved enough money to send him from, from there to South Africa to go figure it out at 18.
0: Wow.
1: And he's like, I got there— Slept in crazy places. Finally got a little job. Got into an, a flight school, and he became a pilot. And when we got back on the plane going farther into Tanzania, I said, "If he can learn how to fly there, I can teach kids in Ferguson how to fly." So, if you don't know about St. Louis, Ferguson was a, was a, was a, was a thing in our country about eight years ago. You know, everything blew up racially in, in yes. Ferguson. Well, I know the superintendent there, and I came back and I said, Hey, uh, Dr. Davis, I want to teach kids in the district how to fly. I said a couple things. Number one, I'm not a pilot. So, it's a little hindrance there, but I believe <laughs> I believe it can happen. And so, I uh, started crafting. I met uh, a friend where my office is, right? There's a private airstrip behind us, private airport, and um, there's a flight school there. And the guys that own the flight school, I talked to them and I said, Here, I got an idea. I want to teach kids in Ferguson how to fly. I believe we can create young pilots who are high school age, get them licensed and, and change their life forever. Um, and so that's where we started two years ago with the Red Tail Cadet program out of, out of the historic lineage of, of the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, we had our first class of six cadets. Uh, and, and last summer in the residency program, and they flew, and so now we're right now into our our second class. Our second class effects starts this weekend. We have an air show this weekend. The Blue Angels in town Saturday night. They're having dinner with the Blue Angels. So that that nice. they have this stature. You know, Boeing was one of our sponsors, and it's it's just amazing if you can believe in the impossible. And and they recognize each one of these students, even though they're academically strong, even though they 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 will become pilots. It, it's not about flying. It's about community. It's about mm-hmm. being ambassadors for for their schools, for their community, for this nation. So the first day of school last year, um, the reaching graduates last year were all in their jumpsuits and they're at all the elementary schools, high five and third graders coming to school. <laughs> because in the third-grader school, it's their posters that are up nice. in their jumpsuits and flying. And, and same thing this year. And so Um, you need to be the hero. And so one of them, they had a second grade graduation going to third grade and, and one of them was their commencement speaker and he talked about being a pilot and you can be me. And so I think that's what it's about. How do we create a generation that perhaps will get an opportunity that wasn't, there for them before, and we create that now, and just change change their lives, which really changes everything around them. It's for some of them, they would be the first individual going to college, but they are already the first pilot in their family, and they will experience things because of a piloting community that ordinarily they don't experience. And so, I leverage these CEOs and these C suites every Sunday night when they come in. That's who's talking to them. We've had pilot pilots and CEOs and attorneys and. You know these millionaires and billionaires sitting down and, and pouring into them, and it's amazing because they ask great questions. They are they they are thinkers,
0: yeah.
1: and they challenge these CEOs. Um, some have challenged them to do better in community because they say, sure. you know, when I grew up, I grew up across street from from your company, and you know all y'all did was build big gates, and you know when things were happening, you were never there. And it's like wow, and that that's true. And they just cause them to reassess. And, you know, they ask questions that as a CEO, sometimes you don't have to answer or you can go around to get your lo- loyal team to answer. But that wasn't going to work for me. <laughs> <No. laughs> you have a 17 year old asking you a question. You got to answer this question. Absolutely. So, I yeah. love that. That is awesome.
0: cool. Yeah. Is- Very good. Yeah, I just can't get
1: be- to do I just get to do amazing things now. And yeah, um, I don't think there's anything that we can't do. So let's go and do it.
0: Yeah. yeah. You have other programs. And that's
1: the biggest one. You know, we, we've got something called corporate faith. These are individuals and they have a, a, a you know, they're in churches, but they're, they're corporate leaders. And so how do we, why do you transcend, transcend that not into the church? I think the church for so many years has tried to take the business leader into the church. I'm like, wrong move. Let's let business leader be in community and say, okay, how do we look at this problem right here and let's deal with it? I think faith leaders have great vision for community. I think the corporate leaders have the tactics and sometimes the influence, and how, how do you bring that together and transcend whatever that that problem is, if it's homelessness, whether it's poor healthcare. And so when I look at our area, we, issues of healthcare disparities, food disparities, there you are know, always gonna be racial issues, um, policing. So how do we step into those areas at a very high level, and say, here's how we can make systemic change down the road. Here's how we can make change and to transcend a generation. So it's not going to happen overnight. You know, homelessness is not going away overnight. A change in policing is not going away overnight. But how do we make some changes in this that hopefully make some some changes down the road that that, that make a better community? So I get to play in a lot of those areas. Awesome. Very cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Anthony, this
0: has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate for you for bringing here.
1: leaders together like this to have this conversation. I think it's needed. I, I think our society really needs to hear from um, not made-up leaders, not propped-up leaders, but true leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, sir.
0: Um, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about some of the programs you have going on and, and things like that, maybe ask you yeah. to be a keynote speaker for them. How can they do that?
1: AnthonyMyers.com. A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-M-E-Y-E-R-S, Anthony Myers.com. Quickest way to catch me. <laughs> Excellent. Very cool. All
0: right. I will make sure that they have uh, the links in the show notes so everybody yes. knows how to get in touch with you and stuff. And again, thanks for your time. We appreciate appreciate you, Roland. I all right, man. appreciate it. All right. all right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes, a lot of good information here. So definitely check out com and uh, get involved. Get involved. Community is all of us, right? Get involved. And uh, share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlings, and so long for him.